Friends, we continue in our worship now with a reading from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 to 33. Let us listen now for a word from God. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit once more, that it would indeed fill our hearts in this time, that through its work, we might be moved from lament to praise. Through its work, we might be moved from fear to hope. Indeed, O God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight will be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. The scripture printed for you in your bulletin today and appearing on your screen if you're watching at home are from the NIV translation of the Bible. As it happens, I actually prefer the NRSV translation for this passage, especially the first two verses. The NRSV renders the opening to our reading today this way, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies, it says, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Eloquent, aren't they? Beautiful. Such hope-filled words, right? These are the kinds of words that you sit with a cup of coffee over for your morning devotional, the kind of words that you print off and you tape to your bathroom mirror so that every time you're standing at your sink brushing your teeth, you can look them over. These are even words that you can sing. For about a year and a half when I was in seminary, I helped lead an afternoon worship service at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta, and we would 
finish every worship by circling around the space in which we gathered and we would hold hands and we would sing verses 22 and 23 of Lamentations chapter 3. So eloquent, so beautiful, so rhythmic even. And yet it's hard to miss the fact that this passage, it comes to us smack dab in the middle of a book that has perhaps the least hope-filled title of any book in all the Bible, Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is five chapters long. If you open your pew Bible and want to, it won't take much time, you will find that in the two chapters before chapter 3, and in the two chapters after chapter 3, this reading, our passage this morning, is unique. It's unique because everywhere else you look in the book of Lamentations, you find that, that these verses, and these verses alone, are this small, almost minuscule island of hope. This faint, flickering light of hope. And what is otherwise a dark and churning sea of lament? It makes sense when you understand the context out of which the book of Lamentations is written. It is written to this people who has experienced an immense trauma. The trauma that they have experienced is the sacking of Jerusalem some 600 years before the time of Christ. And when I say the sacking of Jerusalem, I really mean its total annihilation. The walls of that ancient city, they have been torn down. Solomon's temple, the grand temple, it's been burnt to the ground. Entire neighborhoods flattened, wealth and food and people plundered and torn and pulled to the furthest corners of the world. Right, This is a book that comes to us having been written by and for a people whose world has been laid to waste. A people who's been, whose world has been knocked so far off its axis that the prospect of ever finding equilibrium again seems nearly unimaginable. And so we have to imagine that when those original readers of Lamentations reach this passage, these verses, these hope-filled, eloquent, beautiful words, there is but one question on their mind. Really? Look at the world, God. <laughs> it's an ash heap. Really? Really, God? That's our question, too, isn't it? That building we prayed for, a building in the, the silence of the night comes crashing down, swallowing with it 160 plus souls. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, God. 
10 people, nine kids, dead on a highway in Alabama last week. Your mercies, they never come to an end. Hundreds of unmarked graves discovered of indigenous children on the campuses of two Christian schools. Tell me about those mercies that are new every morning. Even yesterday, just perusing the news, and there's a headline, I knew nothing about 400,000 people on the other side of the world in Madagascar at risk of famine. Great is your faithfulness. This is our question, isn't it? It's the question we ask when we look into the eyes of a loved one who, who no longer knows our name. It's the question we ask when, when that medical setback that we were most worried about actually happens. It's the question we ask when everything seems to be spiraling out of control. It's the question we ask when we are swimming in our own sea of churning lament. We too wonder, really? Really, God? Gregory Jones was recently named the newest president of Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, but 20 years ago, 20 years, it's hard to believe, 20 years ago, on a Tuesday morning in September, he was still the dean of Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. He was walking across campus that morning preparing to teach a class on Simone Weil's classic essay, The Love of God and Affliction, when news of the September 11th attacks broke. His class, along with nearly all the others, of course, were canceled that day, and he soon found himself huddled with, with colleagues trying to figure out, what do we do for our community on a day like this? They finally settled on a prayer service that they put together and offered that night in a dim chapel on Duke's campus. It was a service of prayer that was centered on three passages. John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. After the first reading in that passage, that fateful night, they lit a candle there on the altar in that darkened space. It was a flame that burned through the entire service. It was a flame that burned on even after the hundreds of people who had gathered had emptied out, leaving only Gregory Jones there in that sanctuary all by himself. About a month after the attacks, he wrote in the Christian Century about this service that they had held there on Duke's campus, and he said the thing he had not planned for, the thing he had not expected was the anxiety that welled up in him in that moment when he was left alone 
with that flame. It was an anxiety on a day as dark as that one because he didn't want to extinguish it. He wrote in the article that the service was over, but I wanted to be sure that the light would continue to shine in the darkness. I finally came to terms with extinguishing the flame that night, but only because I found a place of hope. Hope in the belief that the hundreds of people who had gathered for prayer in the midst of affliction had departed with a portion of that flame. They had gone forth into the world to bear that light. He said, I finally came to terms with the flame going out on that day of all days, solely because I had hope that in the countless others, who were there that night, there would be at least one who would bear witness to the light, who would go on wanting to love. I love that phrase. There would be at least one person in the midst of all that turmoil who would go on wanting to love. You know, maybe that's what's going on here in chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations. Clearly, the author, they know the reality of our world. They know that suffering is real. They know that sometimes there are no answers, that sometimes the only sound we hear when we cry out to God is the sound of silence. They know that sometimes when we glimpse what we think might be an island of hope in the distance, it turns out to be only a mirage. They know that some wounds are so deep, not even 10 lifetimes is enough to heal. It's clear that the author of Lamentations knows the reality of our world. But it's also clear they know the reality of God. Maybe what's going on in this little island of hope, this little flicker of light in the sea of lament is the author lighting a candle. Maybe what the author is doing here when they write that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that God's mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning, that great is God's faithfulness, maybe what they're really doing is trying to light a candle that if only one person would bear out a portion of into the world, it would be enough. Maybe what they're doing is writing these words in faith and trust and in the hope that someone, anyone, maybe even you, will bear witness to the light and will go on wanting to love. Maybe even